so Mr. Jordan Pacheco, so I have a sense that there was a time in society that there was like a deeper sense of the sacred. I think you can see this in culture. You can see it in art. You can see it in just like little habits that people have, maybe passing up a Catholic church and doing a sign of the cross. There just seemed to be a deeper sense of that, the way people treated the sacred. Do you have a sense that that's changed in modern times? And if so... Why? Well, there certainly seems to be a lot less reverence for the sacred and even an invocation of sacred things on one hand. Um, and part of it is just, I think, because of the end of or the, the scourge of modernity, right? It is the synthesis of all heresies. There's this real prevalence here in the West on secular rationalism, right? This idea that man is really all just material and that because he's all material his world's all material there's no spiritual element to him outside maybe the conjuring of some bright fluffy feelings or a sense of some ambiguous moral sense of things uh which is never ever defined by these people that uh that opens us up to to kind of mocking and certainly distancing ourselves from what our ancestors might have held is historically sacred right so there is less reverence for uh, things like when you pass a church to make the sign of the cross. I also think that even us as Catholics, we, we have swallowed a lot of this modernity, right? So for the instance, I remember the first time I ever saw, it was uh, the cousin of my friend. We were probably about first grade, second grade, but he would uh, receive communion kneeling and on the tongue. And I always thought that was weird, right? I, I didn't think it was wrong per se, but I just thought that was weird. That felt like he was doing, doing a, a whole lot. Uh, because I didn't understand the depths of what Eucharistic reverence meant. The first time uh, I ever met a bishop, right? It's a handshake. It's very seldom. Even now, it feels kind of strange to pick up the habits again, right? Of kissing the ring of the bishop, right? And doing it out of a sign of respect, even priests like this, correct? So on one hand, yeah, there is a lack of, of attention to the sacred. On the other hand, I feel like our maybe our scientific rationalist stance is actually giving away to to paganism right there's an obvious rise of cultism and paganism and something that's very strange is that i'm seeing more what i would have thought once upon a time more secular peoples talk about things in terms of sacred right uh you hear this from from the evil politicians on capitol hill all the time right some right which is obviously evil is actually sacred and they don't mean of course like it's a duty to god when they say sacred but they have this idea that it somehow is enshrined above the the normal human milieu uh and of course the church is picking up um obviously returns of deeper reverence and devotion because they help polish off what has always been sacred so it, that's kind of what the battleground is right now. There is an obvious real need for Catholics and for people of goodwill, right, to to understand that there are certain elements that make man not just a corporeal body, right, but an immortal soul. And those things need to be referenced at all times, at all places, because otherwise you could see what mess society has uh, without them. What are some of the things that have been like lost along the way? So when you talk about things such as man appealing more to his senses, more to what basically the only thing he can know through is his five human senses. When you think about things such as modernity, when how the popes have railed against that. And I love your example of little habits or little traditions that we have kissing a ring of the bishop and, and, and the pope. What are some other things that you think have just been like lost along the way that that we should that we should miss, but 
maybe we don't as much. Well, I mean, one of the most obvious things to me, right, is the necessity for, say, something like marriage to be the bedrock of civilization, because it's from marriage that uh, you will discover the, how you view the world can be oriented, how you ought to raise children will be oriented, and of course, extends down to politics and economics, and certainly to the mental health and well-being of citizenry. So marriage, I think, and this one's an old one, right? Because marriage as a sacrament, right? It's something, not just a contract, was under attack, at least one of the biggest attacks in the Protestant Revolution, right? Luther denied the sacramentality of marriage. And from there, we've kind of descended, right? If marriage really is still just, if it goes from a sacrament, which means actually that God in all time, space, and history deigned it to be so important that he has people enter a sort of particular bond uh, through him to another person, right? To husband, to wife. If it just becomes a human contract, right? If sacramental marriage is now the exact same as natural marriage, then it gives way that we we have separated marriage from sex and marriage from children. And, uh, well, especially, you know, of course, in the Black community, that that has absolutely ravaged a lot of problems, right? We talk about the crisis of fatherlessness and the crisis of masculinity, not just, of course, exclusively to say the Black community, but, of course, across all of of our current culture. And we've discovered that for all uh, the disagreements one might have with other cultures, the importance of the marital structure has kept a lot of other parts of the world from devolving into utter chaos. It's not a surprise that this devolve has given way to feminism or the sexual revolution or um, kind of unbridled masculinity or something. But there's a lack of reverence for marriage, right? Look at our TV shows, look at our movies, and we ask ourselves honest questions, which is, did we actually see examples of proper, healthy, sacrificial love through marriage happening? And the answer is no. And the answer is, did we ask, or the question also might be, did we actually look to pursue these examples? And the answer a lot of times also is no, right? I, I think about the shows I watched as a teenager and, and the shows, even now I'm going like, now I'm, I'm more aware. I go, oh, this isn't actually a very good example. This isn't holding up. What is the important element of, of the building block of civilization? So that's, that's one thing. I mean, there's a thousand different examples, but I think that obviously because that one in particular is very old, it's almost 500 years of an attack very, very poignantly, uh, it's it's obvious to me that that is like a degradation for a ton of other problems in society right now. When we look at different parts of the world and we look at, say, India, one of the predominant religions is Hindu. There's there's even there seems to be some license in that culture and in that faith, faith to abuse women. We, we see that we in Islam, there may not be such the case as far as dogmatically when we look at the Quran to um, a license to abuse women, but we see that in the culture, the way the way women are treated. Some people would argue that Christianity changed all that, that it, um, in a way, civilized society. And we see the place of women in Christianity is different than even, even what we saw in Judaism. Like women are liberated, they're they're free, they have power, they they have the blessed mother as the example of all examples. And so woman, the life of woman looks just different in, in Christianity. And we see that. But to your point, if marriage, which is a building block of society, if that building block um, and it's, it's connected to sacred, as you say, and that sacred building block is no longer in society. You touched on this a little bit, but I want you to talk about some more. Like, so where does that leave 
woman, if Christianity, the faith, what Christ brought was good for women and good for family and good for men. And that's no longer considered sacred. Should we continue to see women um, be the womanhood exactly? I mean, women, womanhood being attacked. And what I'm thinking about is just the attack on women from from causes such as transgenderism and stuff like that, and these so-called these women rights, which are really just an attack on women. So I was wondering if you could just put that together again in another way and and talk about those those ideas where woman is at in in today's society. When we see in other civilizations, uh, what made Christian marriage so radical was that it was very obvious that while man and woman have different roles inside the marriage, they are very much equals, right? Women are are told to submit to their husbands, uh, as as uh, as you know the, the church submits to Christ, and husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loves the church and and sacrifices and empties himself for for his church. That was the radical thing, right, in the ancient world, especially because women were considered essentially property, right? Just a just a general extension of the husband's power, and there were particular rules in Roman society and certainly other societies where you could see that. But that's one thing that made Christianity radical is because to look at man and woman as, as equal, right, that they both have this shared a command by God to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it is amazing. Now, in our contemporary world, um, what we see is obviously the, uh, the extremes of what happens when we live in a fallen world, right? Men who have completely neglected women, you, you do get this genuine oppression of women in different civilizations, right? Where there are civilizations where a woman's testimony is worth half of that as a man's, where there are particular laws that happen to women that do not happen to men, where we've seen in history, right, where women can't own property or something like that. And on the other side, um, in our society, we see what happens when actually that there is this lording over the matriarchy, right? We, we know that this was going to be a problem in Genesis, right? Um, you do see kind of a, a effeminacy in Western civilization. And unfortunately, because of our fallen nature, I think a lot of women haven't actually safeguarded their own femininity in regards to some of these bigger issues encroaching. So right now, you know, famous documentary, What is a Woman? It is a fundamental question, but it's also a really easy question to answer because all of time, space, and history has answered it. We know what a woman is. But now here in the West especially, you can't be too sure, right? We just had a, um, a man who has sculpted himself to look kind of like a woman win uh, a beauty contest in the Netherlands. That's not something that's uh, not common. That's, that's not uh, uncommon, unfortunately, anymore. So much so that there are now other countries having to enact laws just to say that women can compete in spaces against other women, right? Look at the transgender madness here in this country. I mean, what that is obvious is an attack on femininity, right? And a sort of prevalence of, of effeminacy uh, but also an, a clear demonstration of, of the destruction of society, which I think is honestly demonic at its heart. So I think you look at kind of the degradation of marriage, right? And ironically, the same sort of feminists who have called marriage a patriarchal, overarching, evil organization designed to keep women down actually engage themselves in in by by not being in authentic Christian marriage engage in in the actual destructions of women right look at the sexual revolution the sexual revolution has told women that they could take the worst of men's sexual appetites right disordered sexual appetites that men have and 
put it upon themselves. Right? They have the pill. They have hookup culture. They have all this kind of stuff. And essentially what happens now is that for the price of Netflix and chill, a man can be serviced, go home the next day and, and not catch any feels, right? And it's very clear that this has been terribly destructive for women, terribly destructive. And I've been unfortunate. I've had a lot of conversations with not just women, but men too, but um, especially women who have been hurt by that quite deeply because they didn't understand the ramifications of what the proper order of marriage looked like. Um, you look at this, you know, now um, everyone's broken, working their tails off. And I've met and talked to a lot of women, I'm sure you have, who have said, you know, I just kind of wanted to be a wife and a mom. And I was discouraged from that, right? I was, I swallowed the she can stem pill. I swallowed all this stuff. And now I'm working as an executive assistant for some job. Uh, in my apartment, and I'm 30, and it's definitely difficult to to be married and to have children. And women do have those sort of biological uh, desires more deep than even men do, or deeper than men do. Uh, there is a lot of destruction, right? This idea that a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, the idea that women and men are are not complementary, right? That they have different roles, but they are equal in dignity. But the fact that they're actually the same, that you swap out a man uh, and it's just as good as, oh, actually, it's, you swap out a man for a woman and it's just good, actually even better. Uh, and now we, of course, see this with the transgender madness in sports, right? I mean, track and field is completely destroyed for women, completely destroyed. Swimming with Leah Thomas, completely destroyed for women. And I think it's strange irony that a lot of the people who are advocates for this tend also to be women. And when you have like turf, right, these third order feminists railing against this, their critics tend to actually be other women. I think that that just shows a confusion inside of our fallen nature. And it's really unfortunate because it just demonstrates to me uh, what we need to do as a society to kind of fix ourselves, which again, I think starts with an authentic viewing of Christian marriage and an authentic viewing of femininity and how beautiful that is and masculinity too, and how wonderful that is. When you're talking about the, the matriarchy, one thing that came to mind was the condition of a lot of our, our cities in the United States and particularly within the, the Black American culture, that one of the reasons why one political party dominates every city is because largely liberal Black American women vote in like the 90th percentile for one party consistently. And, and, and I'm going to tie this into, I want you to talk about the response of men in a sense, because because that, that's, that's what comes to mind, like these cities where I don't think Black American, even liberal Black American men vote over as overwhelmingly um, for one political party. But I think that whole thing shows a breakdown in the family structure and perhaps what happened when the, um, the suffrage movement was, um, in, in a way, I think maybe divided households in that sense, and where we went from a household vote to these these, you know, the individual vote. So autonomy. So we can talk about a lot of rights, you know, right to abortion, right to vote, right to race preference, right, environmental rights, all these different secular rights that are, have risen to the level of a sacrament. But I think at the root of them is just this idea of autonomy. Like I'm, a, I'm an autonomous being. I can, I can vote how I want to vote. I can do what I want to do with, with my body. Um, how is a, a, a autonomy antithetical um, to what to Catholic theology? Can you talk about that? 
That mantra, my body, my choice, is trash. Because we actually know from scripture that our bodies are to be temples of the Holy Spirit. So while, yes, there is an individuality and a uniqueness that God implants in each and every one of us, fundamentally what my body, my choice actually implicitly says is that I can choose what to do with my own fate and nobody can tell me otherwise. I actually think that it's a really secret, subtle break against the first commandment, right? Because what we are saying is that this idea of autonomy, uh, my body, my choice, is that we are somehow separate from these eternal consequences, whether positive or negative, that God has instilled for each one of us, right? And in the case specifically with my body, my choice, abortion, it is such a reprehensible uh, sin, obviously, to murder children. I don't know if anyone's ever read the Bible, but this this usually doesn't end very well for cultures that wantonly engage in such a thing. For this to be elevated, in some cases, ironically, uh, as to earlier, it's elevated as a sacred right and obligation is, is beyond absurd. I mean, it's obviously demonic. And I used to not use that word nearly as much, but it's very clear that that's exactly what it is. Um, this is ravaged, obviously, if the most fundamental building block, right, which is, is that the great celebration of of life and of community and of culture, all of these things are, are terribly under attack. And it's very obvious, right? I mean, we look at, you know, there are particular cities, right? Um, they're completely backwards. They're run completely backwards. There are uniparties that come in. And now we actually are seeing the breakdown of law and order in cities like San Francisco or in Portland or in uh Detroit, Baltimore, Chicago, you know, take your pick. And I wonder what the common thread might be. But even beyond that, I think what it demonstrates is that if there is this idea of just the self, right, just me, uh, again, inside almost like this, this secular rationalism, I'm me and I'm going to make choices for me. And regardless of how it affects you, that's your problem. That's not my problem. It is the ultimate selfishness. And it has obviously caused the destruction of a ton of communities and a ton of authentic culture. Um, you know, onto particularly with the black community. I was watching a video the other day. It was very funny. It's from the 1950s or the 1960s, and it's it's an it's an advertising firm is making this video, demonstrating how there's this rising black middle class, actually black mom, black dad, black children, and uh, how instead of hostility, the American market should actually embrace this rising tide of American consumers. The it's story a of a new market. <laughs> Yes, this is the market we're talking about, the new Negro family. Their name is Wells or Wilson, Smith or Brown or Alexander or Breen. They live in Chicago, in Atlanta or New York, in Detroit, St. Louis, Los Angeles, any one of a thousand cities and towns. All over the country, families such as this are enjoying new prosperity. They have new interests, new standards of living, a buying power they've never enjoyed before. They're good prospects for practically all types of goods and services. All too often, though, they're overlooked prospects. Why? Because of some good, valid reason? No. They're overlooked because of mistaken ideas, because of out-of-date ideas about how the Negro lives and how he buys. The truth of the matter is that the Negro lives pretty much the same as other folks. He buys pretty much the same way, too. But just the same, a lot of old doubts and opinions keep cropping up over and over again. Ah, I don't like to do business with Negroes. They're drifters. You can't keep track of them. 
Yes, although a lot of people think that way, the truth is that one out of every three Negro families living in cities today owns its own home. That figure comes directly from the United States Bureau of Census. Well, maybe so, but Negroes are poor credit risks. Not more of a credit risk than any other group. Actually, the Negro home buyer meets his payments faithfully, often more faithfully than other race groups in the same economic level. That's the information we got from people who ought to know, the National Association of Real Estate Boards. Well, maybe, but I've always heard that Negroes buy shoddy, poor-quality merchandise. No, it's just the other way around. According to leading researchers, in proportion to population and income, Negroes buy more quality products than any other comparable United States group. You see, there are a lot of confused notions about the Negro customer. But when you dig right down and find out about them, they just don't hold water. Negroes own homes. They meet their payments faithfully. They buy good brands of merchandise. So why let a lot of old-fashioned ideas hurt profits? It's a really weird video because, uh, not because its content is, is bad, but because it actually kind of demonstrates what proper civilization kind of ought to look like, which is that people treating other people with kindness and with respect. And it felt nice to be marketed towards, you know, not as like individuals, which is across our entire society, across all the different sort of ethnicities, but as a family unit. Again, that is like the central point. And this, this video kind of showed me what's been lost, right? We have now gone into brand culture, into individual culture in such a hyper extension that we don't do things that are good for the family unit. We don't, and therefore we don't do things that are good for our states and our countries. We don't vote and we don't demonstrate uh, and we don't uh, chase out things like abortion mills, right? And transgender drag queens uh, uh, appropriately in the appropriate context, of course, not advocating violence. That'd be silly. Um, and so it's very unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. And obviously, I think that the breakdown of of this culture, right, this this sort of weird matriarchy, to be honest with, right, there is so much evidence, there's so much data now, there are actually documentaries pulling over about how uh, a lot of young men have been failed, a lot of men have been failed. And actually, this is now uh, extended on women. A lot of women have really been failed by systems that do not care for them, do not care for their femininity, do not care for their happiness. This is obviously true for masculinity, probably more so right? There is plenty of men who go through life, they don't have an encouraging word, or they're told that if they want to express themselves in a masculine way, go out, cultivate a family, be the breadwinner, right? Have a wife who loves him and cares for him, uh, have children who respect him, that kind of thing, that that actually is is antithetical, right? Uh, I'm not going to go see that new Barbie movie. I knew what it was going to be, you know? Uh, I'm sure that's probably a joke or two that's kind of funny. I like Margot Robbie, but that's beside the point. But everyone I ask about that movie who's seen it, all say the same thing, which is that uh, it looks, it's shot really, really well. And it, it's, you know, it's by Greta Gerwig. Of course, it's going to be some like feminist anti-men stuff thrown in. And I just say that's not good because can you imagine if guys made movies that were particularly for guys, but we just always portrayed women in such a stereotypically horrible way. It's not good for society. It's fun to poke fun at the sexes and, you know, blow off a little bit of steam. But societal wise, it's just, it's not a good place to be, right? This, this whole war against the sexes. I mean, look where it's resulted, right? There's, there are so many broken families, people who choose divorce or cohabitate, right? And abortion and and all this kind of stuff and just obvious hookup culture and obvious brokenness. And we're always picking up the pieces for that now. It's commonplace to now have a broken family, right? Where grandchild is raised by the grandparent and where uh, 
parents divorced after five, 10 years of marriage or however long it is. This is just, we accept these things, a commonplace, right? Situationships are great. Some articles write about. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of work to be done and it's unfortunate. And the movie Barbie, I thought if I were to like ever teach a, a class again, you know, in like a, a university setting, maybe even perhaps high school, I probably would teach a course on Barbie because there, there was an aspect of it, which was an amazing commentary on society um, because it does teach and the message is made clear that Barbie was made to be this autonomous being outside of man. Um, Kim was just always a boyfriend. But so Barbie was made to be a doctor, a teacher, every, every uh, astronaut. Every There's been a Barbie for every single career that a woman can have, but it was always outside of her relationship. And, and so, and for this reason in the movie, um, Barbie world is, becomes to be deconstructed when Ken realizes when he learns about the patriarchy. And he tries to bring that back into Barbie world and the men take over. And Ken finally feels like a man. Before this, he says, I was just Ken. He says, anywhere else, I would have been a 10. Mm. But here in, in Barbie land, now he feels like a man finally. And the men take over Barbie land. It becomes the patriarchy. Women start cooking for men. They start taking care of men. And it, 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 is becoming, it becomes like the 1950s. Somebody says, oh, Barbie world became like the 1950s. It becomes this, this place. And so it's, it's a wonderful commentary on feminism and how men have become these just just kins and just the job of man is just to sit on a beach and be subservient to women. So I don't know what the author or writer in, intended, but as just like a theologian looking at this, I, I see there's some truth to this that the whole wokeism thing in it um, sort of diminishes. It tries to diminishes. Is value, but I'm glad you brought that up because you know I've been thinking about just Ken for a while and the whole song. I'm just Ken, I'm nobody, I'm not a man, I don't even have a penis, he says, <laughs> which is true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great, now I gotta go see it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was wondering, and I was wondering that now that I tell you that about who would Ken be though if he were to encounter like the traditional Latin mass, like what can it teach a man? Mm about being a man what, what, what would you say to that because and, and, and wrap that up and also with just the sense of sacred that we get from hmm. um, some of the more traditional liturgies of our, our of our church uh, the traditional Latin mass teaches you how to be a man and it does so in a way that it's you could read a thousand pages on people kind of pining at it but sometimes you have to it's like when you listen to classical music right you could listen to you could you could list uh, read a thousand different theories on why classical music is good and why you should get it, but it only happens when you kind of just get it right. So when I started going to Latin Mass, I went, "Oh, I understand man and woman a lot better, and I certainly understand men a lot better." Looking up at even those the altar boys, right, the military sort of precision that the priest has and the altar boys have, and has to regiment it towards the choir and towards the people, right, the laity. It's amazing. And it teaches you seriously how God views you, right? Which is that you are a beloved son, a beloved daughter, and that he has therefore poured himself out, suffered and died for your sins, and furthermore, has gifted the church to be the uh, teacher of truth to the entirety of the world. That is what the church is, right? The first law of the church, the salvation of souls. So it's amazing to me that a lot of men who have come from very uh, effeminate 
backgrounds of liturgy in particular, right? There are plenty of Novus Ordo parishes who are run by matriarchies, right? They are run by Susans of the parish council. This is a great problem. And they've never, as a result, been able to really find um, a suitable partner who hasn't swallowed that pill. That is also a deep reality for, unfortunately, a lot of people until they first get to Latin Mass. And what they discover is uh, they discover a high concentration of women who love being a woman, they love femininity, and they they believe that a high testament of femininity, not as a slave, but as as the as a member, as an authentic member of a household, comes from the fact of of, of things like domesticity or comes from the fact of of honoring our God in a way that perhaps our lady did, right? You don't have, you know, we society tells us that our worth must be placed in our job and our status and our power right? And how many people you sleep around with. All these things are completely wrong. True power, quote unquote, comes from servitude that we give to God. And it comes to the service, therefore, of our vocations. And for most people, their vocation is not work, right? Unless you're like a priest, it's not your work. It actually is going to be your family life. And so everything in life ought to orient itself towards family life. And this is, I think, is why the traditional liturgy is not only coming back, but I think that's why it's obviously attracting and cultivating greater family life. Because as a man, you realize, okay, I'm not a slave to my job and I'm not lording over my wife, right? Christ makes that very, very clear, right? Men are not to lord over their wives. Now, husbands are the heads of their wives, right? Christ is the head of the church. That comes with particular responsibilities. As a husband, you will be judged for how well you led your family in a way that your wife isn't because she doesn't have authority over you. However, what does Christ command of husbands? He says, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And we've heard love so many different times that that has lost all meaning. But you have to understand, especially for the ancient world, this sort of agape love Christ is talking about to a husband is revolutionary. Because what does it also say? It says that he who loves his own body, right, would never do anything negative against it. So you must love your wife as you love your own body. And so if I love my family as I love myself, of course, I'm going to not be the one who is served, but the one who serves. Christ demonstrates this to us. And for women, I mean... Listen, the most powerful saint, so powerful that her invocation can help kick the crap out of demons, is Our Lady, right? The Blessed Virgin Mary. And what's amazing about that is why is she the most powerful? Why is she queen of heaven? Because she assented and said yes to the will of God. And by doing this, what happens, right? She becomes spouse to St. Joseph. And she also becomes spouse to the Holy Spirit therein. And on top of it, she gives birth to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So ironically, for the modern era... All the things that feminists hate, motherhood, domesticity, to be a wife, all this kind of stuff, have actually led for the greatest saint ever to be a woman who came from this, right? A humble Jewish girl who said yes to the will of God. And plot twist, was probably pretty happy doing it. Um, because when we say yes to the will of God, we find that there's a great peace, right? Even inside our sacrifices, even inside our struggles. So this is this is kind of the exciting thing about the Latin Mass. Certainly, I, I've recognized is it's nice to be around men who who believe in their masculinity, right? Who are working hard, who are not just shrugging their shoulders and turning to the worst of masculine sins in particular, right? Who are really trying to work to be authentic members of the body of Christ, who are trying to work in the spirit of saints like Saint Joseph, for instance, and to meet women who really, really want to have an ear towards their own femininity, their own their own beauty, their own self worth, right? And that's amazing to me. I think that that is obviously the antidote for society, for civilization, because it has been for thousands of years. And not just Latin Mass, but other traditional forms of liturgy. These are obviously gifted by God to the church that through that we may have the dispensing of sacramental grace. 
it's so fundamentally important and it's so awesome to genuinely think about that uh this is why I think in our in our current climate, we can understand, uh, we can tell a lot about someone's disposition by their opposition to kind of this revolution. But it's a beautiful one. And it's, it's unstoppable because it is the people really thirsting to turn back to God and the plan that he has for each and every one of us. Now, for our last question, I don't think I would have spoken to you well if I didn't ask you about this one thing that you've brought up in your ministry a few different times is pornography and masturbation. And as we as we close this, as we wrap up your your lesson here, I just want to see if you could wrap that into this whole conversation of autonomy, of um, modernity, of just us relying on our senses, of just where the cultures at today, the things you talked about, um, um, the radical teachings of, of of Christ, and just could you wrap this whole thing up and, and just really talk about how this pursuit of pornography, one of the most atrocious, demonic things that we see going on in society today and how pervasive it is, how that's just antithetical to the pursuit of the sacred. Where does pornography lead us versus where does pursuit to, to sacred lead us? There is um, unfortunately a great push in this society uh, in our own time in history and not just maybe some outside forces, but inside ourselves too, there are obviously real elements of objectification going on. This word may have lost all meaning to us because we've heard it so much. But part of our discussion on the breakdown of the family unit, the the horrors of the sexual revolution, uh, and of course now this prevalence of this sort of weird secular uh, rationalism is essentially that if I matter and you don't matter, you are just an object to whatever desire that I have, right? So if uh, you are in my way and I have to use violence against you because I need to further my own agenda, whether it's political or social or cultural, then I'm going to do it because you're not even a person. Like you are just an object, right? We see this all the time, unfortunately, concerning the discord in this country. But obviously the objectification has reached such a breakdown in sexual fervor that it's terribly unfortunate, right? Um, I knew it was going to get real dangerous the moment I saw Congress people commenting how sex work is real work. I was like, oh, that's not good because who would ever want their daughter or their son to really engage in this? And the prevalence of pornography is all over the place. We don't even think about it. Uh, I, I read a little article the other day. I think it was on Crisis talking about how the, the guy's not going to see Oppenheimer because it has a, a graphic uh, scene in it and he, he doesn't want to see it. And he says it's, it's not good that we justify that. And I thought, man, how much ground have we lost to where I read that? And my first, my natural, my, my fallen inclination is to be like, oh, just close your eyes. Maybe no, maybe it's not actually good to see it. Uh, I don't know, right? So that's a very unfortunate. I know as a young man, especially, um, man, pornography has really damaged us, like really damaged us, right? My, my phrase now is because I was exposed to pornography at a young age, right? I have, I'd have to have like 13 years to break even on not looking at pornography that would be that'd be how 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 deep unfortunately that it is um it's got to be one of the most prevalent mortal sins like easy and it's terribly obvious because when we talk about this objectification um you cease to look at that whom should be your spouse right you cease to look at man you cease to look at woman as a fulfillment of your vocation they just become an object for sexual gratification so it's no wonder that that mentality doesn't just stay in your bed flipping through your phone that mentality now has extended and broken up marriages and families and children and it people are being exposed younger and younger and younger it's everywhere 
right they keep trying to push it in tv shows they keep trying to push it in commercials they keep trying to push it and and we wantonly go along with it right we we oftentimes just kind of casually brush by something that is not just immodest but actually can be so graphically wrong right we don't even think about it i mean look at the i, I was so funny the first time i ever expressed to a friend we were confiding each other and he said he said you know yoga pants have like completely like ruined my sanctity and i'm like yo facts like i can't imagine telling my daughter that that's an acceptable kind of thing to wear um and of course it's not a surprise to me there's um, michael knowles talks a lot about inside pornography particular sadistic or a particular I'd say like extra demonic forms of pornography, right? Like hypnotism and stuff. And it's not a surprise that a lot of transgender activists come out and talk about the influence of that sort of pornography in their own quote unquote transitions, which is, which was like an amazing, unfortunate thing to uncover to be like, oh snap, that's really, really, really dark. It's obviously demonic. It's obviously trying to break down the authenticity of man and woman. And it's honestly an attack on the goodness of proper sexual relations with your husband and with your wife because god created sex good right it's not bad as catholics we shouldn't we shouldn't be puritans we're not puritans i think as catholics we have way too many kids to prove that right um it is acceptable it's good to have a, an authentic fun and whole uh, and holy sex life with your spouse and god wants that right and and there may be parameters there may be things to talk about but obviously like when that is happening that's beautiful that's good but to utilize our own sexual pleasures, just close our doors and, and do whatever the heck we want to do, look what it does, right? It's it's not making people any healthier. It's not making people any better. It, people who 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 uh, climb over pornography addictions talk a lot of times about the brain fog and about the feeling of like like despair and the feeling of frustration and also knowing that it's deeply unsatisfying, right? It's deeply unsatisfying because it's not real. It's not real. And now with this rise of <clears throat> AI revolution and everything, it's like this is obviously furthering our this is furthering the destruction of the dignity of man. That is obviously what it is to degrade us to a point even lower than the beast, because that is obviously what Satan and his minions want to do. And what a lot of people in our society happily participate in. So I would say to men and to women, because I know that there are plenty of women who struggle with pornography addictions as well. Um, you know, the best thing you can do for yourself is do whatever it takes to kill that demon of lust. I mean, and really, really kill it, right? And if you fall, that's what confession is for. But if we just really hit this thing head on, right? I remember we've, I've, you know, I've gone from the libertarian argument of, okay, well, it's evil. You shouldn't look at it, but I don't know if I'd ban it. Now I'm like total like Holy Roman Empire trad, right? I'm like, yeah, scorched earth and probably throw millstones around necks of pornographers. Uh, do society a favor. <laughs> But but genuinely, I mean, if we if we just stop this particular thing, we can curb this a little bit and and gleam into the authenticity of a proper married life and a proper sex life and the dignity of man and woman even beyond married life. Uh, how much better would our society feel? Right? How much better would we feel to be in control of our elements? To to be always uh, walking in the ways of the Lord. This is the kind of the big challenge. And I, I think it's exciting how in Latin mass, they certainly give a lot of tools, right? It's, it's clearly a very strong medicine for this kind of revolution. Fatima warned us about, about people falling into hell like snowflakes over sins of lust and impurity. Um, but you just have to cling to it. You just have to cling to the cross. It sucks. I get it. It sucks. Trust me. Uh, but it's like each day, Lord, if you just pray, right? Lord, Lord, make me pure and today make me pure. Then boom, he will give you those graces. And when he does, it's beautiful. You, you, you can't deny them. Mr. Jordan Pacheco, thank you for this catechesis and instruction. God bless you, David. Thanks for having me on.